welcome to the Acres of Diamonds podcast with Bob Larson, a nationally recognized expert in the analysis of complex life insurance structures. In the Acres of Diamonds podcast, Bob talks about the flip side of owning a life insurance policy that your client has outgrown or that has underperformed. We share insight and strategies to help advisors maximize the effectiveness and value of their clients' life insurance policies. Hello and welcome to Acres of Diamonds with Bob Larson from the Settlement Masters. Today we're going to be talking about why selling your policy might be better than keeping your policy. And that's a question that I've got for Bob. Good morning, Bob. How are you? Hey, I'm great. Eric, it's great talking to you. It's great talking to you again. It's been a while, so it's good to reconnect. And I've got the question, the main question for you is, why would selling your policy be better than keeping your policy? Well, it all depends. People should make sure that they know the difference between keeping it and selling it. And that's really a mathematical decision. Mm-hmm. Once, they, once they look at the math of keeping it versus selling it, they have a family meeting and they decide what's best for the family. But it's imperative that they know both how much how much do I have to pay to keep this policy? And by the way, that should be to the age of 100 and beyond. Mm-hmm. People are living so much longer now that policies that were created many years ago that went to 95 are obsolete. Policy should go to at least 100. You should be paying the amount of money that it re- that is required to carry that contract to age 100. Then you can compare it with the economic present value of what the capital markets would pay in the secondary market. And so it's just a mathematical decision, Eric. Got it. When should somebody have their policy reviewed, Bob? Well, what we find is that most people that have been affected by this major problem that has been caused by the insurance companies are in their 80s and 90s, and they are not necessarily managing the life insurance portfolio. It's being managed by a trustee, a son or daughter. Uh, And so many times people look at life insurance as a regular insurance policy and they just put it in the drawer. Uh, They don't think about pulling it out and making sure that it's current, that it's up to date, that it's uh, making, uh, uh, keeping pace with the cost internally. People should have their life insurance contract reviewed every year because depending upon the kind of life insurance you have, there's tremendous variable factors that can affect the outcome of the life insurance. In other words, if they have a variable life insurance contract, the values, the cash values are totally dependent upon the mutual funds or or the stocks that are inside the policy. If it's a regular indexed policy, it's going to be crediting a rate that's uh, consistent with the S&P or the Moody's or one of the indexed funds. So it is something that should be done every year. People should know exactly uh, what the policy is doing, if it's going to, if you're, if it's getting enough money to carry it through to age 100. They don't know that, and many don't. If they don't know that, their policy could be expiring mm-hmm in three or four years from when they look at it. And then it requires a tremendous amount of money to jumpstart the policy to carry it to age 100. So every year is the answer. 
Now, now, each person that's listening to this, if they have an insurance policy, they most likely have have worked, obviously, with an insurance agent. Maybe they've got a financial advisor they work with. Uh, they've got a lot of people in their life that you know mean well and, and want to help them out like their cousin Bubba. But who should be who should they talk to about reviewing their policy? Because I just don't think cousin Bubba would have the best ideas for it. Well, uh, last month at the STEP convention, the Society for Trust and State Practitioners Convention, Mrs. Glasser from Michigan talked about it. She's a prominent attorney that deals with trust and fiduciary responsibilities. And she said, your policy should be, should be reviewed annually by a third party. Now, that's what an attorney says, a third party, meaning someone other than the person that sold it to you. Typically, the agent should set, should review the contract. And if you have an agent that's a good agent, he's doing that or she's doing that every year. They're, they're doing a policy review to determine the economic value of the contract. Most of them, uh, and I have to say this, having been in the business for 50 years, most of them are not uh, clear and don't know how to tap into the evaluation of the capital markets. So when a policy for someone in their 80s and 90s, absolutely, it should be reviewed once a year. And absolutely, it should be reviewed and compared to the capital market value. Because the capital market value might be 40-50% of the face amount. That means that the institutional trust could pay as much as 40-50% to Hmm. of the face amount of that policy. So every year, it should be reviewed. It should be reviewed by a third party and or the professional uh, advisor that you're dealing with. And if they don't have someone, find someone mm-hmm. that is a professional in this area that will look at the, the economics because life insurance is a asset class and it is something that needs to be handled just like you would your stock portfolio. Okay. So let's say somebody has found someone that's going to review it for them. And then it's time to sit down with that person who's reviewed it. What should they be looking for when it's reviewed? Well, they should they should start with getting illustrations from the carrier, and the illustrations are uh, current and force. In other words, showing the based on the amount of money that they're currently paying, how long will this policy last? That's the first thing they should get. If that's short, they should get the premium, minimum premium to 100, which would show what they have to pay to carry that contract to 100 and beyond. And again, why that's important is because people are living way longer than they did 15, 20 years ago. And frankly, if you short pay your contract and it's running out early, the amount of money it takes to get it back into place is sometimes tenfold of what you've been paying. Mm -hmm. So they should look for a variety of different illustrations. If they're having stress uh, on paying the premium, they should have the person reviewing it to show them what cutting the policy in half, what it would cost. Because sometimes if the premium is too much, if they cut the contract in half, in other words, reduce the, the death benefit from a million to 500,000, the premium is sustainable. It's something that they can handle well. But what they should look for is a combination of economics and when they do that, then if they're in their 80s or 90s, I'll get it. I'll get and say it absolutely. They should know what the capital value is of that contract, because oftentimes the present value of the capital value is vastly greater than the the death benefit uh, uh, being serviced by additional premium. 
So those are some of the basics they should look for, Eric. All right. Bob, years and years and years ago, I had an insurance policy that uh, one of my buddies had gotten into uh, the insurance industry. And so I bought some term from him uh, within his first six months or so of being an agent. And about a year later, he was done. He didn't, uh, he didn't like insurance. He didn't want to continue. It was a 10-year term. And I know that I'm not in this situation that you know settlements are about. But at that point, my policy was passed to a def- different agent. And then that, that agent had quit and it went to another agent. I didn't know these people. Uh, and so I would not have trusted them to review anything for me as far as you know a policy in this situation. So if somebody doesn't have somebody who's qualified to review it or they don't have somebody they can really trust uh, as far as insurance agent, why maybe they don't know them, who should they go to? Well, I, you know, in that situation, I would go to your attorney or accountant and ask them uh, who they believe is a good professional in the uh, life insurance business or affiliated fields mm-hmm. that would be able to give them an objective picture uh, of their life insurance. Uh, you can go online. Uh, people that have websites uh, under insurance, uh, obviously, you're going to get a lot of firms like uh, you know Allstate and State Farm, and those aren't necessarily uh, highly qualified professionals in the sophistication of life insurance. So I would ask the attorney and the accountant or the banker, who do you know that's a qualified professional in the life insurance business? They typically deal with people that are upstanding, uh, that have great credentials mm. that uh, that uh, they would do business with. And so, frankly, that's, that's a great place to start. All right. And uh, again, remind people why they should sell their policy. Well... Yeah, I never tell people to sell their policy. I tell them to do a economic review to mm-hmm. make sure that the policy and the economics of the policy are capable of being managed by the client and that are uh, and the policy still has a purpose that was originally designed. Sometimes people do great estate planning. Uh, we just received an $18 million contract from a client that has done uh, great estate planning and no longer wants the policy. The policy is uh, affected by the cost of insurance increase that 14 carriers have done. And the premium has gone up three times what it was, what they've been used to paying. And uh, so, you know, they're looking at getting rid of it or dropping it or letting it run out. And I said, uh, you know, to the CPA who brought it in, he said, uh, they want to they want to drop it or cash it in. And I said, well, let's do the two mile drill down. Let's look at everything and make sure that we can maybe reduce the face amount of the policy and they could keep it. Sometimes people in the in the settlement business don't care about helping people keep their policy mm-hmm. and they just they just want to sell it because they make some money and they when they sell it. That's the wrong thing to do. Because oftentimes we can reduce the face amount to a number where there's no more premium and it would be vastly greater than a settlement. Hmm. And in that case, you know, you help a client keep some or all or a good part of their, their insurance and not pay any more premium because they had a, a built up cash value and they're happy. And, and the amount that they can end up with is greater than what a settlement would bring. So selling the, the idea of settlements is wrong. Stay away from people like that. Mm-hmm. Someone that says we do a diagnostic evaluation of, of keeping it versus the economics of selling it, that kind of a, a firm you can uh, be more comfortable with. 
And so that's my answer. Got it. And, and I know that there's multiple people out there, multiple firms out there. Uh, if people are thinking, hey, this may be something I need to look into, should they be calling the, the folks that are advertising on TV and they talk about settlements and, and needing cash at, right at that moment and so on and so forth? No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I <laughs> No. no uh, they're an okay group. I, I know them well. Uh, I won't mention any names, but the one that you see most of the time on the television, the problem with that is, number one, the idea of comparing your life insurance policy uh, and its economics to the uh, value in the secondary market requires a number of things. One of it requires multiple bidding in the market where we bid on uh, a policy with multiple funders and give them just like the fair market value in a home. People want to bid on a home. You shouldn't sell your policies to one entity or one provider or one fund. Uh, when you do that, you you don't get the market price. You get what they think that you'll take, and it could be vastly less than the market price. Secondly, we do a great job at making sure that the firm that's buying the contracts keep the contracts in a fund until the duration, meaning that we don't want to sell a client's policy to a fund that will flip it like they do in mortgages. Sometimes mm. you get a mortgage with with a bank and then three months later, it's a different bank. And it could be another bank three months later. They flip those mortgages around. I don't want that to happen. One, I don't want people's information out there. Two, uh, I don't want to have people's policy serviced by a fund that's not doing well. We deal with the largest most solid multi-billion dollar funds that buy and keep. And when you respond to a TV commercial, you're, you're responding to a specific fund buyer and that buyer will uh, 90% of the time will flip that contract, meaning that they're going to pay less than they should to you. Mm -hmm. And then they're going to make money on the flip. And so, no, the answer is no, don't do that. Find a professional that does a complete diagnostic on how you can keep your policy and the present value of keeping it from a financial standpoint compared to the economics of, of what they could get in the secondary market. So let's say I've, I've got my policy. I've had a very thorough review done by a trusted advisor to me. And together we've decided we should probably check out selling the policy. What kind of firm should I be looking for? Well, the, you know, that's a good question. On the internet, there's a lot of firms. If you uh, dial, uh, you know, Google settlements, you'll come up with a number of firms. I would, I would ask them uh, the benchmark in the industry. So says um, Lloyd's of London, which is a pretty good benchmark. Mm -hmm. Benchmark in the settlement industry in terms of protecting the client and the advisor, if the advisor's involved, protecting both of them from things that they don't know about is a company called The Settlement Masters. Now, I'm a little prejudiced because I'm <laughs> the founder of The Settlement Masters, but I can tell you that after being in the business for 50 years, and when I created this in 2008, I did it with a client in mind. I did it because I saw people pushing the idea of selling a policy, and I did it in a way where I can make sure that 
I have protected the client. I've showed them everything they can do to keep their policy. Uh, most of the people that come to us do not want their policy because they can't afford it. Uh, but I still, I still have them sign off on everything they can do to keep it because I want them to know that they could uh, reduce the face amount and do some other things. And then they, then comparing that to the secondary value mm-hmm. in a in a multiple bidding institutional market. When, when some people say, what's institutional market, Bob? The institutional market is big hedge funds like Apollo, uh, uh, BlackRock. Uh, they're just Brookshire. They're big institutional hedge funds and big uh, institutional retirement funds buy pools of – invest in pools of settlements because – the return rate of a settlement pool is predictable. And the reason it's predictable is when you have a thousand policies that you purchase properly, you can predict the actual mortality rate. You don't know who's going to die each year, but you know how many. And that's what they invest in. They invest in pools of policies. So you just need to know the, the firm the the hedge fund comes to a firm called a provider. A provider is who all the brokers deal with. The provider is like a money manager, but they're a, a policy money manager. They're managing the policies for the hedge fund. And they are the ones that select the policies based on the driving percentage, ROI percentage that the fund wants. So when you decide you want to have a firm that understands all this. I've been in the business of life insurance, high-end life insurance funding for over 50 years. And I, uh, and I have, I'm proud to say that we've got a 98% client retention rate because we care and we take care of our clients. Mm. So when you decide to check that out, check out a firm that's got a, an extensive life insurance experience, something that you can say, these people know what they're talking about. And they have my best interest in mind. See, the, the person you talk to should be representing you, not the fund. They should be representing you and your best interest. They should be trying to get you, after giving you all the information you need, they should be giving you the best bids. And they, there should be multiple bids. In the bidding market, I'll just sidebar a little bit. Mm-hmm. In the bidding market, uh, when we put a file together, we collect all the medical records. Nobody takes a medical but we collect all their medical records. We do a cover letter on their lifestyle. We send it to two independent uh, actuarial firms that do nothing but rate the medical records. And then we get that report back. We bundle that and then it's ready for bidding. And then we send it out redactedly. Redactedly, we send it out to uh, two or three major providers that represent multiple funds. And we start getting it's funny because the first bid that comes in is always a, a, a low bid. And it, it's a low bid because they think if somebody doesn't know what they're doing, they might take that low bid. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're too savvy. We just say, that's good. And we tell everybody else what the bid was. That's not good enough. And so we that goes on for 10 days. At the end of the 10th day, everybody's seen the fund, the, the policy. They've all, they've all known what everyone else has bid on the contract. And I've typically got, uh, taken the bid from, I'll use the unit of $1 to a unit of $10. Uh, 
just because of multiple bidding. Now, when you go to one at TV advertiser, you're not getting that. You're getting what they say it's worth to you. Mm-hmm. So they're not evil people, but they're just buying things from people that are not informed. I want to inform the public. I want them to know that life insurance should be managed. It should be reviewed. And when you review it, you should remove, re- review all the economic components, all the things you can do to keep it. What is the institutional value? Okay, Bob, if I have contacted a firm and they tell me to go direct to the fund, which you talked about earlier, should I be concerned about that? Yeah, again, it's like going to the TV uh, ad. You don't want to have a fund bidding on your contract, period. Mm. You want to have somebody that does the inside evaluation, and then you want to go to multiple funds. You want somebody that's savvy about the market. All right. So, and you're the one, from my understanding, you're taking it to these funds. They're bidding on it, right? They have my information. They know what's going on. You've redacted a bunch of stuff to keep me safe, but they... Um, obviously they, they know who I am uh, because the information that you have to give them. What if they were to contact me and say, you know what, we can actually get you more if you go through us instead of going through the settlement masters. What should I say? Well, that, that's really not true, but they, they could do that. What happened to me once uh, many years ago, uh, a firm like that, uh, if you want to do business with them, go for it. I mean, it's not what they're doing is, uh, one, it's it's unethical. Uh, it's not done in the industry by the by the firms we deal with. They're highly regulated. They are firms that would never consider doing this. But if you're dealing with someone that's not ethical, and you won't know that really when you're calling into a line, you just won't know whether or not they're going to one fund or they've got a favorite fund or the fund's giving them extra kickbacks. Mm-hmm. Uh, all of that stuff is just not what you want to deal with. Bob, you and I have talked a lot. I mean, we, we've had lots of podcasts together. I know you pretty well. I know where your heart is at. Uh, but there may be somebody that's listening to this podcast for the first time. Uh, they just found you, and now they're listening and, and hearing all this information. I know that you started the Settlement Masters back in 2008, and you set it up for a very specific reason. Uh, can you explain to the audience, just for those that are new to this, why did you start the Settlement Masters? Why was that your passion? Well, I have I had a 30-year very successful uh, operation, which still exists today. But in 2008, I saw some, some bad things that were happening in the settlement marketplace, and I didn't like it. And so I had a large accounting firm, KPMG, came to me and asked me to evaluate a contract. And because of the standards that I set in the life insurance industry, I set those same standards for this particular contract. And we did a massively good job for the client, for KPMG. And I found a way to do this in a very compliant way that protects the client, the senior, and maximizes their values. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I set that standard for my entire staff. And I, I believe in it. Uh, Lloyd's of London believes in us. They're, we're the only firm that they, uh, so they've been, uh, they've told us they're only, we're the only firm that they issue E&O insurance to because of our level of compliance, our level of client care. And I, I just do not like any games that are played with people's policies, people's money, 
Uh, I like people that are the seniors. They should be respected and they should get full information, full disclosure, full transparency. And so that's why I did it. Bob, lastly, I know we're running short on time. If there are financial advisors that are out there listening to this podcast and they're thinking, okay, this is something that I need to learn more about. I need to understand this more. Or maybe there are folks listening to this that they have parents or grandparents that have policies that they've been discussing with and they just don't know what to do about it. They want to get some advice. How do they reach you? Well, call us. I mean, uh, if you call me, I'll spend time with you. I'll give you a direction. We have podcast training for advisors. 90% of our business comes for, through professional advisors uh, because they have a caring uh, concern about their clients. Call me at 877-927-7243. And when you call me, ask for Bob Larson direct. I have a, a relationship director, Diana Kyle. If I'm not available, she'll make sure that, that we're connected. And I'll uh, invite you to some of our podcasts. They're live. They're colorful. They're packed with information that most people don't know. Call me. I'll give you the number again, 877-927-7243. Or go to our website. It's the, T-H-E, SettlementMasters.com. Make sure you put T-H-E, SettlementMasters.com. And look at what we say there that we stand by. All right, Bob. Thank you so much for your time today. Pleasure as always. All right. Thank you. And thank you all for listening to the Acres of Diamonds podcast with Bob Larson. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when Bob comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. This makes it much easier to share these podcasts with your friends and family. Thanks again for listening today. For everyone at the Settlement Masters, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Acres of Diamonds podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Thank you.